Hey, Door Creek, how are you doing today? Good, good. You survived Christmas, and that's always a good thing, right? But seriously, we hope and pray that you all had a great, wonderful Christmas, and that you all have a very safe and fun New Year's. Uh, my name is Tyler, and I'm so honored to be able to open up God's Word with you today. And specifically in my role here, I serve as the student ministry pastor right here at our Sprecher Road campus. And let me tell you, I'm super excited because next weekend, 184 of us from all three of our campuses are going to Green Bay for our annual youth conference called Districts. This is an amazing weekend for our students in which they get to hang out with each other and other adult leaders, but most importantly, we're challenged and they're encouraged in their faith. So if you think of us next weekend, please pray for all the students and all the adult leaders that are attending this amazing conference. Have you ever noticed that we live in a world today where it seems like there's more things that divide us than unite us? There is one thing, however, that I believe that we all have in common. We all hate the idea of missing out. We hate this idea so much that we've actually come up with an acronym to describe these feelings, FOMO. Yes, FOMO. It's the shorthand way to express our fear and anxiety about of being ignored, forgotten, or left behind. It is seen in our inability to say no to social opportunities. FOMO is seen in our inability to say no to the demands that rise at work so that we can move ahead in our careers or to increase our productivity. FOMO is seen in the way that we constantly fill up our schedules for ourselves, our families, and even our own kids. FOMO is seen in our unhealthy obsession of constantly checking our phones and devices so we can always stay connected to the social media universe. And it is seen in the way that companies market their products to us. They tell us, they convince us that we will miss out completely unless we get the latest and greatest things that they have to offer. So we open up our pocketbooks and we buy into what they're saying and selling all because we're afraid to miss out. Sadly enough, it is estimated that nearly three-fourths of all Americans today suffer with this fear of missing out. And psychologists say that this fear actually stems from a person's deep struggle with acceptance and their inability to be content and happy. Well, despite the dangers of FOMO, I actually believe a healthy dose of being afraid to miss out is actually a good thing. What if I told you that the fear of missing out, while dangerous to our relationships and our emotional state of being, is actually super important as it relates to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, we're gonna to be taking a look at several different stories in the Gospels that will show us why we often miss out on Jesus, but they'll also show us how to make sure that we don't. My hope and prayer is that by looking at these stories this morning, that we would all begin to develop a healthy fear of missing out on Jesus. Will you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your plan to send your son, Jesus Christ, to the small town of Bethlehem thousands of years ago. And God, the people who lived in Bethlehem at this time, their lives were busy, their lives were full, their lives were full of good things that they somehow too still missed out on the coming of your son. And God, not much has changed 2,000 years later. Our lives are so busy, our lives are so full that we too, often miss out on your son. So Lord Jesus, as we open up your word this morning, I pray God that you would open up the eyes of our heart, that you would give us ears to hear, 
that you would just show us the many ways that we so often miss out on your son. And Lord Jesus, I just pray for everyone, myself especially, that you would, all, that you would begin to give us all a healthy fear of missing out on you. In your precious and holy name, amen. Throughout the Gospels, we're introduced to so many different characters, whether it's the disciples, the Pharisees, or the people that Jesus healed. And each of these people actually reflect the same hopes and challenges that we all have today. Towards the end of Jesus' life and ministry, we see in the Gospels of Luke and John, we're given three stories that show us why we miss out on Jesus. And in each of them, we're introduced to the same two characters, Mary and Martha. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them up here uh, to Luke chapter 10, but don't worry, all the scripture will be on the screen behind us. So while you're turning to Luke chapter 10, we're gonna be looking at verses 38 through 42. Let me just briefly set the stage for who these two women were. Mary and Martha were sisters who had a brother named Lazarus. And many believe that outside of Peter, James, and John, Lazarus was actually one of Jesus' best friends. Many scholars believe that Jesus spent his last remaining deep days here on earth and his last remaining nights actually in the home of these three siblings in the town of Bethany. While not much is known about who Lazarus was as a person, the gospels actually take the time to briefly describe and introduce to us who Mary and Martha were as people. And as we will see, Mary and Martha are quite different from each other. For example, Martha is presented as standing, scabbard, scattered, and stubborn in her interactions with Jesus whereas Mary is presented as being seated, settled, and submissive in her, in her encounters with her Lord. I think that is very important to note that both Luke and John actually take the time to describe and contrast these two women in their gospels. Because without their introductions, without them being contrasted, we would fail to see how we too often miss out on Jesus as well. Let's take a listen to this first story found in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset by many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. In order to understand the true meaning of the story, let's dig a little bit deeper. Because the gospels aren't always put in chronological order, it's super important for us when we come to a story like this to pay attention to the other verses and stories that are around it. For example, this story about Mary and Martha is placed right before Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, and right after we see him teaching his disciples about prayer. So why did Mark place this story about Mary and Martha where he did in relation to the others? Well, I believe it's because all three of these stories speak about the importance of our priorities. In Luke 10, 25 through 37, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus challenges us that in order to truly love God, that we actually need to prioritize the needs and cares of those around us. And in Luke 11, one through 11, we see Jesus teaching his disciples that in order to grow in their love and understanding of the Father, 
that they need to prioritize prayer in their daily lives. Because of this, I believe that this story too about Mary and Martha is one about priorities. Another important thing for us to consider when we come to any story in the Gospels or in the the New Testament is to keep in mind the cultural trends and expectations that were in place when a story like this happened. During Jesus's life and ministry here, here on earth, women were not given the same value, rights, or opportunities as they have today. Socially, Jewish women were expected to only be homemakers and to take care of all the hospitality needs of any person that came through their doors. And spiritually, Jewish women were not allowed to enter certain parts of the temple. They weren't allowed to be the disciples of rabbis, and they certainly weren't allowed to receive the personal teaching of men. But we see Mary do something in this story that's absolutely extraordinary. She actually takes the time to sit at the feet of Jesus. In other words, she puts aside the expectations that society had for her as a woman and instead chose to sit at the Lord's feet because she understood that he truly had the one thing that she needed and was super important. This is beautiful because when Jesus came onto the the scene in his ministry, many actually expected him to uphold these same religious and social expectations. But thankfully, as we see time and time again in the gospels, he interacted and did things differently with people than what was expected of him. This is why he openly welcomed Mary at his feet. Jesus hung out with tax collectors and notorious sinners. He touched the untouchable. And Jesus did the unthinkable by welcoming outcast children and even women into his close fellowship and proximity. Ultimately, Jesus chose to put aside the expectations that society had on him so that he could live out the unique expectations that God the Father had for him. Mary, too, was willing to cast aside these expectations that were placed on her. You see, Martha ultimately missed out on Jesus, while Mary did not because her priorities were misplaced. She got upset and angry because she was doing all the work and and what was expected of her, while her sister Mary simply sat at the feet of Jesus. Then Jesus calmly says to her, Martha, my friend, your heart is torn apart by so many things, but only few things are needed. In fact, only one is that important. Your sister Mary has prioritized this better thing, and I won't take it from her. Simply put, Martha missed out on Jesus because she was too busy. Let's take a look at this next story about Mary and Martha. If you're following along with me, turn your Bibles to John chapter 11. In the beginning of this chapter, news comes to Jesus and his disciples from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is very sick and is on his deathbed. But instead of running to the home of his best friend in Bethany, we see him do something kind of strange he actually decides to stay put for the next two days. He doesn't even move. So while they're waiting there, I'm sure the disciples are kind of going crazy, wondering why they, they aren't going to the home of their best friend. But we see Jesus assure them that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death, but that it would actually serve as a way for his name to be glorified. In other words, Jesus is telling them that this hard and horrible situation is something that he was gonna use for his own good. But while they're waiting, Lazarus dies. So let's see how Mary and Martha respond to Jesus and the passing of their brother, beginning in verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In the verses after this, in the midst of this tragedy, we see Jesus do both the unthinkable and what he promised. He brings his best friend Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, back to life from the dead. So what does this story teach us and show us about these two sisters? Well, let's go back to the beginning of this chapter. Take a look at verses five and six. I think John makes it very clear to us to remind us of two things. Firstly, that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus very much. And secondly, John makes it clear that Jesus purposely stayed away from his friends in Bethany after hearing that his best friend was sick. So why did Jesus do this? Why did he stay away from them if he loved them so much? Well, it was because he wanted to show his friends and the watching world, that he was the powerful son of God who could bring about resurrecting life. When Jesus comes into town, Martha immediately goes out to meet him. And while she didn't doubt for a second that Jesus could have healed and helped her brother, we see that her painful situation actually caused her to limit and believe what he could do for her in the present. And we see her become frustrated. She says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died, but I trust that someday my brother will be okay. Listen to what Jesus says to Martha in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. The problem with Martha wasn't so much about her faith in God and what Jesus could do for her and her brother in the future, but more so with how her pain caused and limited her from seeing and believing in what God could do for them right now in the present. Where was Mary in all of this? Look at verse two. It says that when Martha went out to meet Jesus, Mary stayed home. She stayed put. The reason for this, I think, is then later explained by what we see her do when she first sees, sees Jesus in verse 32. It says, when Mary reached a place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. Once again, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus. But this time, instead of being at his feet to learn, she's at his feet as a way of submitting her pain to his lordship and power. In other words, Mary is actually expressing her pain to Jesus while still showing her dependence and trust in him. It's a kind of a subtle difference, but you notice how different these two sisters responded in the midst of their, uh, their pain to Jesus? Mary nearly missed out on Jesus and seeing what he could do in and through her situation because she was too overcome by pain. 
She had the right beliefs about God and what he could do in the future, but her pain caused her to limit and see what he was trying to do in the present. But Mary, in the midst of her pain, fell at the feet of Jesus as a way to express her dependence and belief in her Lord despite her great suffering. Thankfully for these sisters and for us, we see Jesus reveal his supernatural power and ability to breathe hope and life back into any situation. And in this case, we see Jesus physically breathe life back into his friend, Lazarus. Let's take a look at this last story that focuses in on Mary. It's found in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you but you will not always have me. This same story is told in Matthew 26 and Mark 14. And from what we know from these three accounts is that it took place at a dinner party at a home of someone that Jesus healed named Simon in their hometown of Bethany. And from what we also know, it's believed that 25 to 30 people were at this party. And right after this story, we read that the Pharisees are finalizing their plot to arrest and murder Jesus. So put yourself at this party for a moment. Pretend that your friends are hosting a magnificent party for you. They're toasting your recent accomplishments, but unlike them, you're not having a good time because you know what lies ahead of you, death and suffering on the cross. This is actually the backdrop of this party. While every other house guest at this party was having a great time, I believe that Jesus was not because he was internally conflicted and confronted with what he would soon face in Jerusalem on the cross. So where was Mary at this party, and what was she doing? Well, it shouldn't be any surprise to us by now about where we will find her. She's once again at our Lord's feet. The first time we see Mary at his feet, she's there expressing her desire to learn from him. The second time she was at Jesus' feet, she was there to express her dev devotion and dependence in him despite her suffering. And this third time, we see Mary at her Lord's feet in order to express her great devotion to him. Listen to this extraordinary thing that she did. She brings out a jar of perfume and pours it on Jesus' entire body, his head, hands, and feet. And then she washes it off, with him, off of him with her tears and then dries him off with her hair. This expression of devotion by Mary was extraordinary for a couple reasons. Firstly, the financial and personal worth of this perfume was very, very valuable. The total cost of this perfume in the story said it was, would be about 300 denarii. And 300 denarii from what we know from the story was the equivalent of a person's annual wage. 
today and is believed that this perfume would be about $25,000 in worth. And this perfume was, was rare because it was exported from India and it was typically used only for two things. One, to anoint people of royalty. And secondly, it was used to help prepare somebody's body for burial. Not only did this perfume have great financial worth, but it actually had a lot of personal worth to Mary and her siblings. Many scholars believe that because there's no mention of their parents, it's believed that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' parents were actually dead. So her parents more than likely left behind the house that they lived in in Bethany, but also this perfume. In other words, we see Mary is literally pouring out her financial inheritance, her future at her Lord's feet. Secondly, this event was extraordinary because Mary washed Jesus' feet with her hair. Jewish women at this time were not allowed to let their hair down in public. Having it up and covered was considered to be the only and acceptable way for a Jewish woman to publicly express their devotion to God. And while the washing of feet, as we know, that was typically only done by the lowly, by slaves and servants. So by letting her hair down in public and using it to wash his feet, Mary is showing an incredible and humble amount of devotion to her Lord. And then there were her tears. Why was Mary crying? And what are they reflective of? Well, I believe that Mary's tears are actually reflective of her understanding. Up to this point, Jesus has told his disciples time and time again that he is the son of God who came to earth to die on the cross. And more than likely, the other people who weren't his disciples there at this party heard the same thing too. But they clearly didn't understood. And it's seen in the way that they objected Mary and what she did to her Lord. But Mary understood clearly who Jesus was, why he came to earth, and what he was about to do on the cross. And out of this deep understanding of Jesus came Mary's deep, incredible devotion. As I mentioned earlier, the responses to Mary's action were varied. From all three of these accounts, we read that the guests and disciples who were present at this party openly rebuked Mary for her actions. They felt like what she did was wasteful and unnecessary. In other words, they didn't think that Jesus was actually worthy of this type of worship and devotion. But Jesus sees things differently. He defends her and he commends her. He says, Mary gets it. She understands. I will not always be with you. She's honoring me and showing me devotion while she still can. So what caused these varied responses to Jesus? Well, I believe that the other disciples and other guests miss out on Jesus because they allow themselves to become too comfortable with him. Their comfortability of always having him around and their lack of understanding and not taking seriously his claims actually caused them to treat Jesus with apathy. And out of their lack of interest and understanding came their lack of worship and acknowledging the greatness of who Jesus was. Mary's expression of devotion, on the other hand, was so great because she fully understood the greatness of Jesus' worth and what he was about to do on the cross. And out of her understanding, this prompted her to express her gratitude and devotion to Jesus while she still could, before it was too late. Simply put, the greatness of who Jesus is should always be reflected in the greatness and the type of our worship and devotion. This is why I believe John included this story in his gospel, because it beautifully shows us how Jesus both deserves and desires our incredible devotion in our day-to-day -day lives. 
So what do these three stories show us about why we miss out on Jesus? And why should we begin to develop a healthy fear of missing out on him? Well, there's three things that I believe that these stories show us and that we need to keep in mind. Firstly, we miss out on Jesus because we're too busy. Go back to this first story about these two sisters. In it, we see Jesus say something very interesting to Martha. Here, Jesus says to her, your heart is torn torn apart by many things, but few things are needed. Actually, only one is needed, and Mary has chosen this one thing. What's really interesting and important about Jesus' words to Martha is this phrase, few things are needed. In the original Greek language, the word needed actually refers to this idea of only caring about and bringing with you what is necessary for survival on a long trip and journey. In other words, Jesus is saying to Martha and to us that there's only one thing that's truly needed in life that will truly help us make it through on our journey. And that's putting ourselves in a position to learn and to hear from him. You know, New Year's is right around the corner and this is the perfect time of year to put aside bad habits uh, so that we can embrace healthier ones. And so with that being said, I need to come clean about a very bad habit that I have. I have this bad habit of not eating anything during the day because I'm too busy or too focused on what I'm trying to do and accomplish. Can anybody else relate with that? Or am I the only weird one here? But I struggle with this so much that my family knows that I haven't eaten anything by the time I get home because it's so clear to them because my stomach's growling. I'm literally raiding through the cupboard in the kitchen trying to find anything and everything to eat. And to make matters worse, I'm irritable. I'm hangry. Instead of starving myself throughout today, right, the healthier option would be for me to have several smaller snacks throughout it. You might be laughing or rolling your eyes at me for my bad habit, but the truth is we as Christians tend to have the same bad habit as it relates to relationship with Jesus. Instead of snacking on Jesus, we starve ourselves completely of him. And we miss out on Jesus when we starve ourselves of him. We starve ourselves spiritually by only going to church maybe once or twice a month. We starve ourselves of Jesus by maybe going to Bible study or life group when it's convenient or when we feel like it. And we starve ourselves of Jesus by daily not reading our Bibles, praying, or just sitting at his feet. And we starve ourselves of Jesus by not doing anything that I just mentioned in between our experiences at church. And then afterwards, we're often left wondering why we're still spiritually hungry and why our souls feel so empty. You know, in a perfect world, we would all feast on Jesus three times a day. But this is not always possible or even a reality for many of us. Over the years in my walk with Christ, I've learned that it's better to snack on Jesus than to starve myself of him. And here's how I try to snack on Jesus. Three times a day, an alert goes off on my phone. Once in the morning, the afternoon, and in the evening. And regardless of what I'm doing, I just stop to simply snack on Jesus. Sometimes I read my Bible. Sometimes it's for five minutes. Sometimes it's for 20, sometimes longer. Sometimes I pray. Sometimes that only lasts for a few moments. And if I'm with other people, I will literally begin praying silently for those people that I'm with. And a lot of times, I actually do nothing. I just sit still and silent, focusing my thoughts and my attentions on him. Choosing to fit at the feet of Jesus isn't just helpful for us. 
It's not just helpful for us to make it through life. But our choosing to sit at the feet of Jesus is actually critical in helping others and the watching world do the same. You see, we should be so afraid to miss out on Jesus because we're too busy, because when we're left starving for Jesus, so is the rest of the world. The simple truth is to the world, strangers, our neighbors, families, and even our own kids, we might be the only Bible that they may ever read, and we might be the only Jesus they may ever see. We should be so afraid to miss out on Jesus because we're too busy. Because if we don't think that Jesus is truly the one thing that's needed to make it through life, then those around us won't think that he is either. Secondly, we miss out on Jesus because we're too overcome by our pain. What Lazarus moments are you currently facing right now? Lazarus moments are those hard times and painful situations in our lives where we're left wondering why God is taking his time to be involved. It's those times where we're left saying, Jesus, if only you would have been there. It's those struggles and situations that make us feel dead and like there isn't any hope. We all have things in our lives that feel and appear to be dead that we wish for desperately would be brought back to life. What is one Lazarus moment in your life right now that Jesus is inviting you to lay at his feet? Maybe it's your current struggle with your finances. Maybe it's your current struggle at work. Maybe you're struggling to find work. Maybe you've been fighting depression and other health issues. Maybe your marriage is falling apart and the other relationships in your life with your kids, family, and friends. Or maybe you've been giving in to the same sins and temptations time and time again. Whatever the case may be, Jesus wants you to lay those things at his feet. You see, Martha knew that Jesus cared for her, and she knew that he was powerful. But Mary actually believed in Jesus and his power. She showed her trust in him by being willing to lay her pain at his feet. It's one thing to know that Jesus' grace is sufficient, that his power is made perfect in weakness, and he can and does work all things for the good of those who love him. But it's actually a completely different thing to actually believe that these things are true. Like Mary, we need to be willing to lay down our pain at the feet of Jesus because we trust and believe that he not only cares for us, but that he can breathe life back into any situation and use it for his glory. It's only at the feet of Jesus where our pain can find its purpose and where it can be used to make his name great. Our Lazarus moments, the ones that we're asking God to change, are actually the very ones that God is using to change us. Jesus wants to use these moments to increase our faith and to show the watching world that he's truly the resurrection and the life. Listen to this wonderful quote by C.S. Lewis. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Jesus uses our painful Lazarus moments, not only to increase the faith in us, but also in those who don't believe in him. When we trust in the promises of Jesus, when our world is falling apart, it shows a world that's falling apart that Jesus too can be trusted. It shows a world that's spiritually dying, that Jesus is truly the resurrection and the life. We should be so afraid to miss out on Jesus because we're overcome by pain. Because if we don't believe that God is worthy to be trusted with our pain and that he can breathe life back into any situation, then a lost and hurting world won't believe and trust Jesus with their pain either. Even worse, when we as Christians live like there is no hope, the world and people around us will believe that there's no hope for them either. 
Lastly, we miss out on Jesus because we're too familiar with him. Think back to this last story about Mary and those at the party with him. The disciples and other guests' familiarity with Jesus caused them to treat him with apathy. And their apathy caused them to believe that he wasn't worthy of the type of worship and devotion that Mary showed him. Like them, our familiarity with Jesus often causes us to treat him the same way, with apathy. And our apathy is actually reflected in the lack of the type of worship and devotion that we're willing to give to him. You know, recently I've been asking myself a lot of questions in regards to this chapter. What is Jesus worth? What would I do if Jesus was sitting right before me at a party like this? What would I be willing to give him? Would I struggle to give Jesus what I value the most? Would I be willing to lay my home, wife, kids, money, my career, and my future at his feet? Or would I be resistant to give him any or all of these things? And why was Mary willing, so, so willing to give Jesus something that literally cost her all she had? But many of us, myself included, struggle to give God much of anything as it relates to our time, talents, and treasures. And how do we come to the same place as Mary to have the same type of devotion that she had? Thankfully, as we read the entire Bible, we actually get a glimpse of what true worship and devotion is all about. True worship and devotion is all about us reflecting and declaring the great worth and value of God to him and the world around us. That is why Paul says in Romans 12:1 that when we devote our entire bodies as living sacrifices to God, that this not only pleases him, but this is the true act of worship. Because giving all of who we are is reflective of the worthiness of all that God deserves. Also, the Bible shows and tells us where great devotion comes from. It shows us that great devotion to God grows out of our understanding and deep awareness of how infinitely great he is. Consider Moses for a moment. Out of his encounters with God and seeing his greatness in the burning bush and the signs and wonders he performed in Egypt and seeing him part the sea, out of these things came the development and the greatness of Moses' devotion. Moses wasn't always perfect of his devotion to, to God, but I believe that ex these experiences showed and proved time and time again why God was so worthy of it. The same could be said of David, Daniel, the Apostle Paul, and even Mary. Mary's great devotion to Jesus came as a result of her great and deep understanding of who he truly was. She understood that Jesus wasn't just some guy from Bethlehem that could do cool party tricks and miracles. She understood that he just wasn't some guy who spoke of power and gave incredible messages. And to Mary, Jesus wasn't just one of her best friends. No, Mary truly understood who Jesus was, that he was the son of the living God who helped form and create the entire universe. She understood that Jesus was going to die as the perfect sacrificial lamb to take away the sins of the entire world. And out of Mary's deep understanding of who Jesus was, came the great deepness of her devotion. You know, I sure hope this, that this idea of Jesus coming to earth to live the perfect life that you and I never could so that he could die and be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, I really hope that this hasn't gotten old to us. Because when we become too familiar with Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross, when the gospel just ceases to be okay news and we treat him with apathy, 
I believe that our worship actually becomes worthless because it doesn't even come close to reflecting the greatness of who God is and what he deserves. When we understand the greatness of who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross, it literally changes everything. It changes our entire lives. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we live. And it should change the way that we worship. It should change the level and the type of devotion that we're willing to give to him. What I love about this story is that it says that the smell of Mary's perfume was so great that it filled out up the entire home. Also, what's really interesting to note is many believe that when, when the soldiers were putting the crown of thorns on Jesus' head and nailing uh, his feet to the cross, those guards were probably still able to smell that perfume on Jesus. In other words, Mary's devotion gave off a pleasing and noticeable smell to everyone. Her devotion to Jesus caused others both then and now to consider who truly Jesus was and what he was truly worthy of. What kind of smell does your devotion to Jesus give off to others? Is your devotion cheap? Is your devotion stale? Or does your devotion just blend in with everything else? Or does the smell of your devotion to Jesus stand out above everything else? And is it truly reflective of his greatness? We should be afraid to miss out on Jesus because we're too familiar with him. Because when we treat God with apathy, the world around us will treat him with apathy. And when we don't think God is worthy of great worship and devotion, the world won't think that he is either. As we close today, I wanna ask you two very important questions. Firstly, why do you miss out on Jesus? Do you miss out on Jesus because your life is too busy? Do you miss out on Jesus because you've forgotten that he is truly the one thing that's needed to get you through this life? Do you miss out on Jesus because you're too overcome by pain? Do you miss out on Jesus because your pain has caused you to not be willing to lay your pain at his feet? Do you miss out on Jesus because you're too familiar with him? Do you miss out on Jesus because the gospel has just become an everyday kind of news, an okay news, and you don't believe that he's truly worthy of your worship and devotion? And my last question is equally important, and it's this. Are you afraid to miss out on Jesus both now and in this new year to come? I believe that we should all be afraid to miss out on Jesus because missing out on Jesus is a huge deal. We actually need to be terrified of missing out on him because when we miss out on Jesus, the entire world misses out on him too. Will you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the example of Mary and Martha. God, while they were not perfect, their lives are a good example of how we're so prone to miss out on you. God, I just pray for every person in this room, myself included, that you would not allow us to become too busy, too overcome by our pain, and too familiar with you. Lord Jesus, in the days and weeks to come, may we just trust that you are the only thing that's needed to make it, make it through this life. God, may we trust that we can truly believe and trust in you with our painful moments. And Lord, can you give us a new level of devotion to you so when the world looks at us, they'll see your greatness and your worthiness. God, keep us safe and thank you for your word. In your precious and holy name, amen.